We are in um, Judges chapter 6. Judges chapter 6 starts out the way a lot of things do here in Judges with the Israelites doing evil in the eyes of the Lord. And so he gave them over to the Midianites for a period of seven years. And during that time, they ravaged the crops, they stole the livestock, they trashed the fields, they did pretty much whatever they wanted to. They were marauders, they would hide out, they would be wherever they wanted to be until such time as the crops were ready and then they, they came into town and wreaked havoc. This went on, as I said, for like a period of about seven years and the people cried out to the Lord. They did not cry out repenting. They cried out rather for help, for relief. God sends them a prophet. Now, this is the first time we've noticed that God sent a prophet, but he probably did at other times too. The prophet came, and the idea being to uh, get people to turn back to God. The prophet told them that this is what God says. That I got you out of Egypt. I rescued you from slavery. I cleared the nations out in front of you. I brought you into this land. And I told you not to serve the other gods. You have disobeyed me. So the message was there. And then, as I said, we kind of changed scenes from the overall thing that was going on in Israel to a specific place, a specific town, uh, Orpha or Ophrah, where this guy jo- uh, Joash was threshing out wheat in, in a, a wine press. That's not where you thresh out wheat. You know, threshing out wheat, you want a good, solid, flat place where the wind can go blow by. Because the idea is to throw it up in the air, let the wind blow the chaff away, the wheat falls to the ground, you scoop up the wheat. If you're down in a wine vat, there's no wind. Very frustrating to try to thresh out wheat that way. So... Not only did we change scenes, but now we have this character called the angel of the Lord that shows up. And we know he's an angel of the Lord. Why? (laughs) Scripture says so. That's exactly right. Because we talked about this last week. What do angels look like? In almost every occasion where an angel is encountered in the word of God, what does he look like? Looks like a man. As a matter of fact, uh, the Hebrew here in Hebrews 11, uh, verse 2 says, you need to be careful when you're entertaining strangers because what? You never know. You may be entertaining an angel. Yeah, why? Because they look like everybody else. So there's this guy leaning up against a tree, observing Gideon in the wine press, trying to separate the wheat from the chaff. Then the angel goes to Gideon. In verse 12, he says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. (laughs) Isn't that an interesting thing to say to somebody who is cowardly enough that he's hiding in a wine press trying to thresh his wheat? 
Mighty warrior. What a greeting. Gideon may have thought this guy was crazy. I don't know. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Well, Gideon is anything but a mighty warrior. He's more like a scared farmer. You know, if you think of mighty, you would think more of like Daniel. When, when he was threatened about praying, what did he do? Well, he prayed just the way he always had. Right there in front of the window, facing Jerusalem. Not Gideon. He's not threshing out the wheat right out there where anybody can see him and come running up there and try to take it from him. Instead, he's hiding. Not mighty warrior. But we pointed out 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 through 29, where Paul says, But brothers, think about what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential. Not many of you are of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things and even things that are not to nullify the things that are so that nobody can boast before him. So it shouldn't surprise you in Gideon's case that he was not the the strong, he was not the mighty, he was not the noble birth, he was just a common old guy. Didn't even think very highly of himself. Gideon's response to the angel is, you say God's with us, you've got to be kidding me. How could all of this happen if God is with us? We've been overrun now for seven years by these Midianites. How can you say God is with us? What are you talking about? God has abandoned us. Well, if he had been privy to what the prophet had said, the prophet had already told him why. The why was what? You have not listened to my voice. You have not obeyed me. You have not paid attention to what I was saying. That's the why. You see, James will tell us we need to count it all joy when we encounter trials. Knowing that it it builds character, it builds our perseverance, it, it makes us... Closer to what God wants us to be. Hebrews chapter 12 verses 4 through 11 talks about discipline. That God will discipline us. When we're getting out of line, expect to be disciplined. That's why I said last week, sometimes when you encounter trouble in your life, you may want to examine yourself to see if maybe it was brought on by yourself. Could be that discipline is in order here. Now it could be that something came on because somebody else. You know, even even in this particular case in Israel, not everybody was bowing down to this foreign god. But they were all paying the price because a lot of them were bowing down to these foreign gods. And maybe Gideon was not one of the ones. But apparently his dad was. Apparently his family was because they've got an altar. They're on their property to this Baal. So now we should be caught up to where we were last week. Gideon has been talking with the angel of the Lord. He has absolutely no idea this is the angel of the Lord that's talking with him. But it almost appears to me that there's a change of who's talking now. It could be that the Lord is speaking via the angel. I don't know. 
But it could be that the Lord is speaking directly to Gideon now. Because the scripture says, The Lord said to him, Go in your strength, or go in the strength that you have, and save Israel out of Midian's hands. Am I not sending you? (laughs) This is like the the third message that he's got, that you're supposed to be doing this delivering, that you are the one that I've chosen. But Lord, Gideon says, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in the family. Who does that sound like? Coming up later. Wanted him to be king. Saul. Saul, right? That was, that was his excuse. Uh, I'm of the smallest tribe, and they were. By the time Saul comes along, you know, by the time we get to the end of Judges, Benjamin is just about wiped out. He was indeed of the smallest tribe by that point. But he also says, I'm the the least in my family. Even though he's like head and shoulders taller than everybody else, if you remember, the Saul guy. But he made the same excuse that Manasseh, or I mean that uh, Gideon is making. He says, how can I save Israel? Ours is the weakest clan of Manasseh. I am the least in my family. The Lord answers him, I will be with you and you will strike All the Midianites together. Gideon replied, If I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that it's really you that's talking to me. Please do not go away until I come back and bring my offering and set it before you. That can also be translated gift. Okay? And I sort of think, even though this turns out to be an offering, I think it started out as a gift. I think he still... uh, Speaking there in front of this angel, and he thinks he's a special guy, and he's giving him the word from God, and he's going to go get a gift. And so he does, right? But what's he, what's he done here in the meantime? Well, and actually the Lord says, I will, wait, I will wait until you return. So he's got the word from the Lord. Go get the gift. I'll wait. Verse 12, the Lord is with you. You're a valiant warrior. Verse 14, haven't I sent you? Verse 14, go in your strength. I will be with you, verse 16. Strike down the Midianites. So he's, you know, he's got it three times. Gideon goes, he prepares a goat. He also makes cakes. How many pounds of flour would you normally get to make a few cakes? Pounds of flour. How many? Not even a pound. Not even a half a pound. No. A couple of cups, right? Yeah. 36 pounds. Reckon he made a few cakes? Yeah. He prepares a goat and he uses 36 pounds of flour to make cakes. He also makes broth to go with it. And he brings all of this back and sets it in front of the angel. I don't know if he thought this guy was a real thirsty guy and real hungry guy or what. But he's brought a feast. All these cakes and a goat... And the broth, and the angel, I'm sorry, he's very, God was very patient, yeah, and this angel is very patient, because the angel's just sitting there, and God's waiting, but he told him, I'll wait, exactly right. So when Gideon shows up, with all of these cakes, I have no idea how many cakes there were, or how big these cakes were, but I can imagine cooking up 36 pounds worth of flour. I just can't imagine it. We don't have that much in the house. You know, when we go to buy flour, we get at most we get a five-pound bag. 
right? That's what y'all used, and that five pounds lasts us forever. 36 pounds this guy has put together. And whole goat, all the fixings, he brings it out there, sets it in front of this angel. And the angel says, take the meat, put it on this rock. So Gideon does. He says, take the cakes, put it on this rock. So Gideon does. I really thought I was going to finish this chapter today. And he says, now take the broth and pour it over the cakes and the meat. And Gideon does. Then what happens? The angel apparently had a staff in his hand or a rod in his hand. And he reaches out and he touches the rock. Or actually it says it touches the meat and the cakes. Right? Then what happened? There's a fire. There's a fire comes out of the rock. Not out of his staff. There's a fire comes out of the rock and totally consumes the goat, the bread, and all the broth. Now, what does that sound like to you? Another event that's going to happen down the road? Yeah, yeah. Dealing with the same foreign god years down the road, like 1 Kings 18, I think it is, where Elijah is up on the mountain and he's got all these false prophets of God. They build an altar, he builds an altar, and he lays out his sacrifice and he says, now to make it challenging, let's dump water on mine. Soak it down really good. Yeah, built a moat around it, he flooded it, yeah, and drowned the wood and the whole bit, and and he waits most of the day, they're screaming, they're cutting themselves, you know, waiting for Baal to consume their 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 unwetted, undrowned uh, deal. And of course, Elijah makes fun of them the whole time. And so when he finally gets tired, he prays to God, and whoo, fire from heaven comes down and consumes. Every bit of what he's got, and I love that little part, at least in that version, it translates and says, and it licked up the water. The fire just licked up the water, because you can just see that, you know? Just licked up the water. That's what this reminds me of. The instant this happens, the angel disappears. Now Gideon's scared. He wasn't scared while he's talking to this angel. He wasn't scared with the messages that he got so far other than the fact that he he didn't really believe them. But now he's scared. And he says what? I have just seen the angel of the Lord. I'm going to die. And it's true that you and I cannot go in front of the presence of the Lord with our sin on us and survive. Couldn't do it. We would be consumed. You remember Moses wanted to see God, and God said, that ain't possible. Can't happen. But the Lord speaks to Gideon, and he says, don't fear. You shall not die. I don't know about you, but I think if I was Gideon, I'd probably just fall right over Instead, though, the Lord says, peace, do not be afraid, you're not going to die. Gideon builds an altar then to God. 
Now he knows he's dealing with the Lord. And he builds an altar to the Lord and he sacrifices on that altar. But there's a problem here, right? He builds this altar, he he even names it, the Lord is peace. Which kind of reminded me of John 14 when Jesus says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. Not as the world gives you peace, I give you. Do not let your heart be troubled, do not be fearful. And that's kind of what he's telling Gideon here. In Philippians 4, 7, where it says, The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So he built an altar, but there's a problem, because now you've got an altar of Baal sitting over here, and the Asherah next to it, and you've got the altar of God here. What's the problem? Well, you can all go right back to what? The Ten Commandments, where he says, You shall have no other gods before me, or no other gods beside me, or no other gods in addition to me, I will be served only. So he tells Gideon what? Tear it down. Tear down that altar to Baal. Tear down the Asherah. And matter of fact, you can use that for wood to stoke the fire. Build an altar to me. You can use your your dad's bulls to do this. And you can sacrifice one of them on the altar. Gideon says, all right, Lord, I'm right there with you. Right? Let's do that right now. Right? Know what he said? Uh Uh-uh. Not what he said. Oh, good idea, Lord, but I think I'll wait. (laughs) Right? (laughs) I think I'll wait. Let's wait till it's dark. Let's wait till it's dark. He waits till it's dark and he gets ten men that he trusts. To help him tear down this altar and build an altar to God. Sacrificed one of the ox on that altar. And that's all fine and dandy except what? Well, the sun's coming up. And when the sun comes up, everybody in town or at least the folks that are close by notice that the Asherah is missing. The altar to Baal is missing. And there's two other altars out here. And did this thing just go out? Did it blink or did it go out? Out. Okay, good. So anyway, they decide it's time to investigate because whoever's done this deserves to die. And in their investigation, it says they told them Gideon did it. It's probably one of those things. Don't come after me. It was Gideon's fault. Gideon did this. I didn't do this. And so they said, fine. They they told Joash, you send Gideon out here because we're going to kill him. And Joash, um, Gideon's dad, has a little inspiration and he says, no, no. If you're going to attack my son, then you're going to die. It's just as simple as that. Anybody that tries to attack my son is going to die. Better idea, if, if Baal is a god, you let Baal contend for himself. You let Baal contend. And, and then Gideon gets a new name, Jerubael. And Jerubael means let Baal contend. Now, if you're one of those guys that helped nickname him that, you probably thought, fine and dandy, Gideon's gone in the morning. 
Ha, Jerubael, he's dead. But then what happens? Well, he survives. And he continues to survive. And so what turned out to be a derogatory nickname, Jerubael, turns out to be a badge of honor. He stood up to Baal and he won. Kind of like Elijah. Stood up to Baal and he won. Because God was with him. But God was not going to have a second God there. Um, Jesus would say in Matthew 6, 24, nobody can serve two masters. You will love the one and hate the other. And that's the way it is with God. He will only have all of your devotion. So whatever is in our life other than God must be torn down. It must be destroyed. Only God can reign. So we're going to stop right there because I think I heard that second bill. So we're not going to finish this chapter today. But I have great confidence we will finish this chapter next week. Thank you very much for your attention today.